Today, Dr. Melanie Burton, a forensic and counseling psychologist, clinical social worker, and licensed addictions counselor, brings you one step closer to a new you, where you feel empowered and on a positive path to growth and well-being. As a solutions-focused therapist, Dr. Melanie Burton can help you live a life worth celebrating by unearthing those long-standing behavior patterns and perceptions that may be holding you back. And now, here's your host, Dr. Melanie Burton. Hi, everybody. <laughs> we uh, had some technical issues, but um, <laughs> we're really happy to have everyone here today. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to introduce my guest, Mr. David Benson. So let me tell you a little bit about David. His dream is to create a consulting and mental, relaxa mental relaxation clinic, also using his skills at inducing progressive relaxation through simple hypnotic verbal inductions and presentation of suggestions, which subjects will find inclusively adapted within their daily lives for calming and recentering. David is also a practitioner of genius insight applications, which use frequencies similar to Rife's to center the expenditure of bodily energies within the chakra centers by making analysis within an algorithm based upon scans done by subjects' voice reciting their names and vowels, as well as from a recent photograph. He does not need to perform the collection of required data in person, but can use an application found at his website, www.insightbiofeedback.com. All right, David, welcome. Thank you. So you have quite a history. I don't know where you want to begin, if you want to talk more, if you want to start by talking more about the work that you do, or if you want to tell us more about your history. Okay, well, I am retired, and when a friend of mine came up and announced that there was going to be some humanitarian projects presented to Q that I might submit this project, which you read, and I posted that project to a response to the Q inquiry to do an interview with Q on this mm -hmm. same network. Okay, so my training was back in 1978 and 79 at the International College of Hypnosis Studies in Miami, Florida. While I was still active duty in the U.S. Air Force Station at Homestead Air Force Base. So it was just a simple 20-mile ride from home to the college campus, which was Dr. Shrout's psychology clinic in Miami. Mm-hmm. We studied Monday through Thursday night, 6 to 10 o'clock at night. 
and then um, I got interrupted to learn how to make money his way back in March of 79 because the Air Force said, you need to go to this Tactical Air Command NCO Academy out in Texas. So I was on a path to being a career enlisted airman, and uh, I interrupted that studies, but I also required or acquired some skills. And while I was at the academy, I would use the progressive relaxation technique for classmates that had not been in an academic situation for, let's say, seven to ten years. Most of Mm -hmm. them were there early 30s, like myself at the time, and uh, their instructors, well, I approached the instructors of the class, and I said, you guys are giving us information, so we agree with garbage in and garbage out, but you have a certain percentage of NCOs that are failing their test. I'll work with them and see if just relaxing them will take the fear of being tested academically away and they'll produce the answers from the material that the instructors gave them during their class time. And it worked out 80 to 85% of those students passed and graduated. And uh, I was given a little Esprit de Corps award plaque from my classmates uh, during that. That's amazing. Oh, it was. It was a nice honor. Uh, I've never used it commercially. Uh, The only other time, again, that I used it was when I was stationed in Okinawa. And I was hanging out with a bunch of uh, Army and Navy uh, linguists. And they were listening to all the chatter uh, coming into Okinawa from China. And some was Russian, some was Chinese, and um, probably some Korean. Uh, but this was their job. And we I met them at the rec center because my career field was a veterinary technician doing food inspection down in Makamanado. And uh, this was closer to Kadena Air Base where I went to this rec center because I was living off base at the time and it was just three block walk to go to that place. So we were doing an Agatha Christie play in the rec center and it was opening night. And my, I was an ins- the inspector and I had a, uh, a uh, policeman that was my straight man and he come down with the flu and my uh the play director was a e6 that's the sergeant first class in the army and i told him i said look i'm going to take him into the band room and i'm going to try some hypnosis on him to see if we can't get his peristalsis settled down because he was throwing up and having diarrhea and just in a mess. And the show couldn't go on. We had no understudies. So wow. <laughs> I, was, I was able to calm him down. And it 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 went from, you know, the, the narrative. And it went into his 
mental side and then it went into the the tissue and the muscle memory and we went through the play just super and uh even i think we had a had another production and uh, two days later that uh he was able to go through without me doing anything with him but uh yeah the the army did not like their top secret security clearance people undergoing any sort of hypnosis by a uh, non-approved source, let's say. Um, so that just brought me um, out of the service. Uh, I cross-trained. I went into computer operator field and I had already had a prior prior to going to this uh, College of Hypnosis Studies, I came down with what's called clinical depression. And so after I returned to service, having been treated uh, for that, and and it more or less went away on its own, it was just good nutrition. And I can't say there was medication with it, but, you know, you you join talk groups and, 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 and whatnot under a, a clinical type of uh, um, treatment in an Air Force facility with doctors and medics and, and whatnot. So you're put in with a mixed group of people that had mental problems. And I wanted to learn more about what made my mind tick. You know, was I taking suggestion? Was I giving myself bad suggestions? How did I drive myself into this clinical depression? So when this uh, announcement came up and caught my attention that uh, Dr. Shrout was looking to set up a new class, you you thought that he was going to be joining uh, a priesthood because the man actually was an ex-Jesuit priest who was a missionary in Ecuador. He got his training in psychology before he became a priest uh, up in Toronto, Canada. And then when he fell in love with his Ecuadorian counterpart, married her, of course, he left left the church as a priest. And uh, he went back to Toronto and got his Ph.D. in psychology. And because she spoke Spanish and he could speak Spanish and English very well. They moved to Miami, Florida. And uh, so while I was going to school with him, I found out that he had two daughters and uh, he had three other uh, clinicians that were psychologists working in his clinic uh, daytime. So I I learned that uh, there was a possibility that not only was I a gone through the chronic depression that I might be vulnerable to the manic or bipolar side. Mm. Uh, That was one of the reasons that the Air Force let me go about four years later is that uh, I had a a manic type of episode. Oh, so you had bipolar one disorder. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I've never never had the um what 
what can I say? I've never been arrested. I've never um, caused a, a public disturbance with it. Um, more or less, um, I would keep doing my my daily uh, PR, especially after it. And, uh, of course, they pumped me full of lithium, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, But after about 15 years of that, I cut that out cold turkey. I just quit it, you know. And, uh, but it's uh, something else that came into my mind because experiences that I've had prior to even the um, chronic depression, um, it's like memories about about things. And I had a father who was an engineer and an inventor, and he he loved numbers, and he, but his training was in uh, ornamental horticulture. But he became a B-24 bomber pilot in World War II. And then after the war, he stayed in the material handling sales industry that was supporting Department of Defense with running gear for trailers that moved equipment, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, but I've always, always had in the back of my head, well, you know, how did, how did I find spiritually, how did I find this man to be my dad and the, the woman to be my mother? They were both World War II veterans. And I always thought, well, maybe I was a, an ET. And I came into this crazy world during the World War II. And, and, and I spotted these people so i just waited my turn i mean i have a older sister she she was the the first child and i have a younger brother but one of the remarkable things that i did as a youngster is with dad's interest in the air force even though he got out was to go to these uh open houses and the Mm -hmm. air to bridgeport connecticut had the Sabre jet, the F-86, on display. And I climbed up and sat in that cockpit, and they heard me say, this thing is so fundamental, I cannot believe it's safe. Now, where does a four- to five-year-old come up with such (laughs) profound thoughts? All right? And uh, then later on in, in, in life... Um, I went through a, an experience in Turkey that we were putting down a, a sentry dog, and my job was to um, close the vein off so that the, the veterinarian could inject the euthanasia agent. And they already used barbiturates in this dog's dog food to calm them down so somebody could handle the dog. Because well, why was- would they... Why were they putting the dog down? He was 10 years old or 10 to 11 years old. And the the military has a policy where these dogs will they usually work them only 10 years. And it's very seldom that they will have a handler 
in a sentry dog now. The, a sentry dog is different from a drug dog, even though they're both are of the German Shepherd lines. Uh, and they have bomb dogs that are not even German Shepherds, okay? But at that time, for a sentry dog, he was a working dog, and he was a, a one-man dog that usually if a handler would rotate out, four years of service was the typical enlistment, then they would have to find another handler to work that dog. If the dog was, let's say, a year and a half, two years old when the first handler got him, the second handler would literally, to bond with the dog, they would have to masturbate the dog. What? Well, yes, that's correct. I never and heard of such a thing. I haven't. And, and the Navy uses that same technique in training dolphins to do special work with the Navy divers. It's, it's, a, a, it's crazy, but it's a sexual bonding. And it's, it's something that uh, you can get verified. Uh, but you're going to have to talk to a, a canine handler that's, you know, been in the, been in the military. And uh, so anyhow, I'm in the kennel with the dog. They've given him this euthanasia shot and I'm kind of squatted down. I got my left knee over this dog's neck and I was using my right hand and the finger to, uh, touch the eyelid because in surgery with an animal, you lose the pedal reflex you pinch between the paws, between the toes and the paws. And if the dog pulls away, they're not deep enough under the anesthetic yet. But if they lose this reflex, then you're going to lose them real quick. All right. So I was waiting for this dog, call him Duke, to lose his ocular blinking reflex. And when he did, I started to take pressure off of his neck and try to stand up. And at the same time, his head was coming up and his jaws went open. And I just remember jumping straight up, kicking sideways with both my legs and next thing I know, I am out on the alleyway between the kennels because they use that to carry their dog food and, and such stuff. But at the time of putting this dog down, there was canine handlers out there and uh, another veterinary technician was out there watching and observing. I don't know how I got behind those people without knocking them over. But it was almost to me like, wow, was that telekinesis? When when I panicked, and the only thing I know is I was going straight up and, and kicking cyclone fencing on my left and my right and projecting I wanted to be out of that kennel. You know, that was the last thing in my mind, and I turned around and boom. So when I left Turkey and left that group that usually – send you off, you know, bon voyage to have a party and make a cake. And they put on the cake, uh, Goulet, Goulet, Deli, Dave, which meant bye-bye, crazy Dave. 
they wouldn't talk about that incident. And so I let that, I let that go transpire. And later on, oh, this is uh, right after my study in, in hypnosis, they had me TDY to Key West Naval Air Station. And at that time, I was getting interested in, or just prior to it, parapsychology mm-hmm. and, and going to a night school class at, uh, oh, let's see, Miami Day Junior College. I had one of these non credit night school type classes, you know, for that. And uh, just getting a, a feel of what these people were, you know, talking about. But anyhow, I'm now down in Key West, TDY to the Navy to do food inspection in their commissary because they rotated out the Air Force staff sergeant that was assigned to that position. And we had more uh, office workers, veterinary technicians at Homestead Air Force Base. So they they sent me to Key West. And I was uh, rummaging around town and decided to go to the Ramada Inn and I only had like this is October and and, uh, the physical year for the military would restart in October so we hadn't got our pay our paychecks yet because Congress was holding everything up and I had maybe you know I was married uh, had maybe three or four dollars in my pocket so I was seeing how well I could bum drinks in the hotel and uh, didn't do too bad, but it got to be about one thirty in the morning and I went back out to my Honda motorcycle and it wouldn't start. So I walked back into the hotel and I called shore patrol and shore patrol said, this is not an emergency Sarge. We can't come and get you. So, because I was barracks at Boca Chita, not on the Key West. It's the next key up. And so anyhow, uh, I walked back into the hotel and I go to the front desk and I said, y'all, I'm kind of stuck here, stranded. You think it'd be all right if I took a chair and snoozed in the janitor's closet until morning? And the hotel manager overheard this, and she said, hell no. And I said, all right. So I went back downstairs at the lower bar level, which was ground floor, and a bar back was down there. And I told him my story. And he said, well, look, go out there on the veranda. There's some tables stacked up and chairs sitting in those chairs. And just go sleep in the chairs. So... I went out there, but I kind of got skittish saying, oh, man, I'm out here in the open. I would get caught anyhow. So uh, a young woman walked by and I said, hello. I said, you wouldn't let a guy, stranger sleep on the floor in your rented room, would you? Oh, no, I can't do that. And she went off and immediately I said, boy, I really blew it that time. <laughs> and she's going to complain management, you know, so. I got in the chairs, I did my progressive relaxation, and I just added the Lord's Prayer to the end of it. 
and I'm gone. <laughs> I start hearing voices sometime later. And then I hear another voice. And that voice told me that if I open my eyes to see them, that they would be able to see me. And I kind of said, Mm-mm, I'm keeping my eyes closed. <laughs> and so Dawn's early light happened. And I finally, you know, opened my eyes and nobody was around. I went into the men's room in that lower bar area. It was open. Threw water in my face, get to sleep out. And went outside and took the cover off the motorcycle and kicked it off the kickstand and started pushing it towards the Navy commissary down the road. Uh, found a guy that was still up uh, early in the morning reading in his den. And um, so I knocked on the door and I was tired pushing his bike. Hey, can I leave the bike in your driveway? He said, fine. And I said, I'll be back for it. And I walked off to work and I found a truck driver that had a lift on the back trailer and Noon time, we went back and picked the motorcycle up. I got a new battery for it. I had a Sears charge card. That was a good thing. And that evening, I went back to thank the bar back. And I just get the bike off the stands. And around the corner comes that female night manager the night before. And she was just hot as mad as could be. And she said, where the hell were you last night? I said, what do you mean? We searched all over for you and could not find you. And I said, lady, if you don't know, I don't know either. And I didn't know. I woke up the same place I went to sleep. All right. Later on, I go back to Miami and I tell Dr. Shroud. Shroud, my mentor, right? My instructor in hypnosis. And I said, hey, doc, this is my story. I'm sticking to it. What do you think? He says, well, the only thing I know is you were protected from above. I said, okay. You know, I got I got no memory. It was like once I uh, kicked out, totally relaxed and went to what we would call your safe place mentally. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. That was that was the only memory. Until I heard the voices, external voices, and then I heard the internal voice saying, if you open your eyes and see them, they will see you. Okay. that That's it. So let's go to Okinawa and then let's come back. Not, nothing really happened extraordinary in Okinawa. Uh, that was an 18-month assignment. I did get divorced from my wife after I came back because I did not take her or the children there. Um, she just did not have an affinity for Asian people expressed to me while we were at Homestead Air Force Base because we were living on base housing and had numerous uh, mixed marriages amongst the American GIs with Asian women. And I said, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to carry her as an ambassador you know, to Okinawa. And uh, so I went to my tech school in Keesler to learn computer operator. I uh, got assigned to Site C6 at uh, Eglin Air Force Base. 
and I had a a a roommate that was a staff sergeant that he got into drugs, and I was a tech sergeant with a line number for master, and he went TDY, and I called the OSI. I said, will you please check out this funny-looking tobacco my roommate's got stashed in the in the cabin that we're renting and so they said hey well that's not tobacco sarge that's marijuana and they said would you like to leave and go to another duty station because i think you've got yourself into a group of youngsters that might have repercussions and i said no i'm not one to run from a fight but uh i'll look for other housing and so i found a a fellow on a, let's see, it's a Santa Rosa Island there in Fort Walton Beach. Um, it's wall-to-wall uh, condos now with uh, resorts. It, it wasn't back then. You had open access to the golf. Uh, we lived right across the street from it. But this young man was a Vietnam veteran. He was a soldier of fortune. He was very suicidal, and Mm. I'm going to myself, what am I getting myself into? And so one day in May, um, I saw him. I woke up in the morning this weekend, and he was going through a a fifth of bourbon. And I'm going, oh, that darn fool. He's going to go out in the golf. We had a storm the night before. He's going to go out in the golf, and he's going to try to drown himself. And so... I knew enough that, you know, nothing I could do physically could, you know, change his mind. Uh, But I didn't know what I could do mentally. And I had been studying uh, the book called A Course in Miracles. Don't know if you're familiar with that or not. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Helen Shookman, uh, back in the late 60s, she was a psychiatrist, NYU. And uh, an, another uh, clinical psychiatrist that worked at NYU um, also helped her. She would get the downloads, and then he would transcribe them as she would tell him about the downloads uh, that she got. And uh, it it kind of brought to a realization that there is more to our physical life than we are really raised to become aware about. Mm -hmm. And miracles are a product of, of love. And so I was making up in my mind that, okay, there is a, a group, let's call it a, of, uh, Spiritual beings that I'll call Christ ship, meaning meaning that Jesus was not the only Christed individual or entity within God's creation of life. He was one that's well known to us, but he was not the only one because the word Christed was a word invented to try to describe the magnificence of what that man did while he walked this earth. So 
I went out into the into the Gulf before this guy was going to do what he was set to do. And I swam out uh, through the waves because I was a very good swimmer at that age. And uh, lay there in the water and I just simply said, brothers and sisters, there's a fool going to come into this water today and he's going to try to drown himself. And you know who I'm talking about. He's my roommate. So when he's down, push him up. And when he's up, push him out. Thank you very much. Short and sweet. And I got out of the water and I jogged as far away from that locale locale, as I could because I did not want to be seen and confronted by this man when he came into the water. Later on that evening, he ran into me and he said, David, what the hell did you do today? <laughs> I said, Ken, Ken, what do you mean, what the hell did I do today? He said, I went into the Gulf to drown myself. I said, yeah? He said, yeah. And every time I went down, I heard your voice say, <laughs> and when I was up, I heard your voice say, push him out. And I, I said, Ken, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I was... I was going to deny it to him. I, I think what I was, and I didn't understand, but I thought I was giving my intention of his well-being to another group of beings. All right. They were, let's say they were imagined in my mind. Okay. But that's what my understanding was at that time. And, it's like a double whammy. It's like, wow, you can set your intentions. You you, and everybody else has energy about themselves that is very sovereign. It's very innate. It was given to us, my belief, when we were created. And it is something in our consciousness that, yeah, we can make mistakes and screw with our physicality, but we really, this part of us stays intact. And so then that resulted in me getting booted out of the room that I was renting from him. And... uh <laughs> There was, there was another man in that, like a, a ranch house that had two apartments in it. And John Workman, uh, I forget what John did for a living, but he lived next door. And he said, yeah, you can bunk here for a short while. And so for about two weeks, I stayed with, with him. And during that time, at the end of May, we had the Falkland Island incident. And so... When that was going on, I mean, I was at a radar site and our job was to track with the computers any Russian launch that would go through a 10,000 square mile over Columbia. And it usually would enter that window and be out of it in three minutes. So that was my busy day. It was learning how to operate the computers that did all that tracking. And I had no knowledge about what was there, how fast it was going or where it went. And it was just, my job was to 
maintained a computer that was logging the information. Then you pass that on to a, an officer that did the analysis, and he would pass it on to Cheyenne Mountain and NORAD out in Colorado so that they could continue to see which way this satellite was going if it changed direction and changed orbits. So anyhow, I start learning about, well, the British are headed for the Falcon Islands and they're going down there with some heavy military equipment. And one thing I did not want to see at the time was a nuclear accident. And I had a classmate from my hypnosis college, Maria Elena de Sol, was from El Salvador her mother was German. Her father was Spanish. That's how she got the Spanish last name. Uh, and she had moved to Argentina. And so I'm saying, hmm. Well, my dad had invented a fishing float called the Saturn Bobber. And it was a, a, a unique uh, float. I don't know if you know what a bobber is or not for freshwater fishing. It's a float you attach to your line. It gives you an indication. If you oh, get yeah. It. Yeah. Uh, My yeah. dad used to fish. Yeah. Okay. So this, uh, I, sh- I should have dug one out. There's one in the house here somewhere. But it's a two spheres put together. And each side of the sphere has a ring that, uh, like a flywheel, so to speak, attached to the sphere. But in the centers where these spheres lock together are little fingers and you can he had holes put in the uh the rings so you put your hook from the outside through the inside and then you snap your line in between those fingers and it'll hold that weight in your hook at a certain length from the float so if you're in a flat john boat you can go ahead and uh, fish 20 feet deep if you want to, but you're not going to cast your line out with 20 feet of line from hook to bobber. you got to wrap the line around those rings in the center, and now you everything's dangling six inches off, let's say, your rod tip, and you can cast it out, and it'll unspool, and your bobber will sit there in the water and float. And if you get a strike and you set the hook, the line pops out of the post pins there in between the rings but the hole that the line went in through the bobber lets that bobber float all the way down to the shot or, or almost to the mouth of the fish that you're going to catch so quite unique and he sent me a couple copies of that when i was in vietnam and i i took some to australia but the australians don't do around sydney freshwater fishing they needed a heavier larger float of a different kind but I had some with me at Fort Walton Beach and so I just made a a suggestion now I don't know if you have frequented yourself with anybody that is a medium or a psychic yeah we've but, had mediums and psychics on, on this show as well yeah okay so I told I took a six pack out and put it in the intercoastal waterway and I said, you guys take off and you go to Argentina and you prevent a nuclear accident. And I just let it go. Now, after I got out of the Air Force 
it was September of 82, sometime in March, maybe of 83. I'm still on my Indian, American Indian, Native American spirituality. And I met up with uh, a group in Charlotte called the Brigade of Light. And Marion Starnes was a well-known psychic, lived out off of West Boulevard, out near the airport in town on an old farm house. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I visited out there pretty frequently. And we did sweat lodges and uh, we did a retreat up in the Rhone Mountains of Tennessee, uh, up beyond Boone and, and on into mountains, mountain city area. But I walked by Marion one day and unsolicited, she said, you know, those UFOs you sent to Argentina? Well, they got intercepted and I just let it go off the top of my head, like water off a duck (laughs) saying to myself, what the hell? How did you know about that? You know, this is my internal dialogue. And, uh, so, uh, I'm sitting there between a rock and a hard place saying to myself, well, have I really got a spiritual connection to that thought of having been an extraterrestrial soul coming into this crazy world in the late 1930s? experienced everything through world war ii found parents because whether i couldn't go home to where my uh original galactic family was located uh or i had contracted for a mission i do not know yet but these were things that were you know going through my mind and later about two Two or three years ago, I meet a young man here in Charlotte who, his name is James Rink, and James uh, produces a super soldier talk on YouTube, and this is a group of young men. Well, when, in- well, well, when was when was this? And and, and Dave, you know, I'm gonna. I, I'm going to have to let you know, you know, I have a ton of questions, right? Okay. And we, we only have a few minutes left. All right. So I'm not sure how you want to spend the next few minutes, but because I have so many questions, mm-hmm. I would like you to come back to do a second show. Okay. All right. But what I'm leading up to is that the group of youngsters that were abducted by Mill Labs in the 70s, and some were even in the 60s, but through the 80s and 90s are starting to get their memories back at 2011 through present. And they truly believe that they were taken off world and served in what they call 20 and backs. And meaning that they were their consciousness soul was snatched out of their human body taken aboard an alien ship or they believe that possibly it's the fourth Reich of the Nazis that left Europe in World War II, went to Argentina and Antarctica. And so 
they are looking for ways to deal with their memories. And I'm thinking with my skill in hypnosis that I might be able to apply some techniques with progressive relaxation to first off, let's give them a safe place and take away the the fear and the anxiety that they're having and then find them some quantum healing uh, technicians that are doing a specialized type of regression hypnosis to work with them. So that is one of the areas that I want to go into. Yes. I've been, I've been to two of the uh, journey to truth conferences in Grafton, Illinois. Mm -hmm. The first was dedicated to secret space programs and the second one was more or less dedicated to experiencers. Not necessarily that they were secret space program people, but that they were people who have experienced altered states of consciousness. And I have experienced that. I haven't told you about those yet. But uh, those are things that can be verified. And and that's that's where I want to go uh slowly and and maybe i'll find somebody in this area that i can work with uh in 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 doing this um 76 years old uh retired limited income so when i heard about the humanitarian project and it can be funded um that was why I think I'm qualified to enter into this type of a work with some of the training that I've had from mm-hmm. the International College of Hypnosis Studies. Yeah, I would think I would think so. I'm going to do some research on it, but I'm sure you're qualified. And have have you signed up for humanitarian? project with Q. I never heard about it and until uh-huh. you mentioned it. They're telling and, me I have five minutes left. I okay. never heard about it until you um, mentioned it. So what I'll do is I'll do my research and I'll, I'll look into it and we can talk more about it when I see you again. All right. Maybe so, I'll get that fixed on the laptop. <laughs> I think I think I made the mistake <laughs> because you were ready to use your phone. <laughs> okay. You were all set to use your phone and I said, No, Dave, use a computer. <laughs> and then you ended up having glitches and you know, as soon as you got on the phone, here you were. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh I, I have been to New York City to a Broadway show. And the man had your last name in it. Burton, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, my grandfather. I used to tell people I was I was uh, related to LeVar Burton from Roots. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And but, then I've been and from a La Mancha down, downtown New York City, too. Rear? Man from La Mancha. Okay. Okay. It was Broadway play. Yeah, this this grandmother was a very heavy set woman, and she lived with us when I was in high school in New Jersey. 
and I would take her into the city to see her brother. Mm -hmm. And she would treat me to Broadway shows and I would get an excuse from school. So I was double happy. <laughs> you, were, you were really, really lucky. Yes. Okay, Dave. So they're telling me I got two minutes left. So the next show is on August 30th. So right. let's do part two of your interview. And that way I can get all my answers in, my okay. questions in. All right. And you can you can tell us more about your story and your experiences as well. Good. Because I really want to dig into, you know, more into the work that you've done. Great. And most of all, thank you for your service. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> okay, so I look forward to uh, seeing you on August 30th. Same time, same place. All right. <laughs> Use your phone. <laughs> All right. We'll be there. You have okay, a good day. Yep. You too. Pleasure meeting you. Thank I look you. forward to seeing you again.